0: Hey, my name is Tim. We're going to continue our series called Arrival. If you want to take your Bible, you can go to Matthew chapter 1. Today we're going to talk about our Savior. That seems uh, like a good thing at Christmas time. We're going to talk about a scandal, though, or scandals also. But we're going to begin with a list. And I'm going to start reading in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1. As I'm reading, if you feel the need to encourage me, I just want you to know that I will welcome that. Aminadab, And Aminadab the father of Neshan, and Nashan the father of Solomon, and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad. And Eliad, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Methan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. I hadn't intended on reading that whole thing this morning, but in the first service, I just kept going, and yeah, it was... Every name deserved to be read. But you came here this morning. Uh, we always have a lot of guests, Christmas time. So maybe you're here visiting with family. Uh, you could be a student. You're on school break. That feels really good. Maybe you've just begun a, a work break, a holiday, and that feels really good. And maybe, maybe you're not feeling that good. Maybe it's, you find yourself in difficult circumstances right now. But I bet you, you didn't come to church this morning thinking, oh, we are going to read a list of names And after we've read those lists of names, and we talk about it a bit, I'm going to feel so encouraged about Christmas. I just don't think you probably came to church this morning with that on your mind. But as we read what God has penned here by the Holy Spirit, I believe that we're going to find a few things out that are going to help us understand more. And it is relevant. See, typically, if... If we hear a list of names, or we're reading a list of names, and there's no personal connection, it, it we feel it has no relevance to us. And For example, you go to an airport, and there's like PA announcements all the time when you go to an airport. There's always noise in the background, announcements being made, and, uh, you know, like um, with passengers, uh, Abbott, and James, and Wilcox, and... Uh, Smith Norrie, please, make their way to Air Canada gate 232. And so, you know, you're not flying Air Canada, that's not you. And so, you know, you barely, it barely registers on your subconscious because it's just completely irrelevant. Uh, I'm at the airport. Uh, we're there, my whole family, and we're flying to Prince Edward Island. We're going to take our kids so they can see their aunt and uncle who have moved there and their cousins. And we arrive early at the Vancouver YVR airport and make it through like check in, uh, security. Man, we've done really well. Uh, Got lots of time on our hands. So I encourage the girls to come with me. We're going to scout around, check out some stores, uh, lots of good clothing that has, you know, like Canada branding on it or even Vancouver branding. Oh, that was fun, and then hey you know i 'm feeling generous We're on holidays. This is great so we buy some snacks let 's get some let 's get some snacks, look at snacks. Of course, you go in the store that has snacks, typically, they have some bookshelves. Oh, this is cool. Um, hey, um, I wonder what is. You know, I never get to look at these. What are the best sellers right now? And, you know, should we buy a book for the plane? I don't know. And somewhere in that whole sequence, um, there was a list of names that suddenly became very important in the moment. Uh, WestJet Last Call for Passengers Claussen. And uh, they were calling our names. This. This was an important list. So, of course, you know, all of a sudden we wake up. All of a sudden this list, this PA announcement has become relevant and we bolt um, to, our, um, to our gate where we're supposed to be. Uh, see my wife there, not very happy. Um, who knew? Who knew that planes board so soon before they depart? I don't know. Like, what's, what's going on there? Name's can mean something when there's a personal interest involved. They can matter. And maybe you, as you heard or looked at the scripture this morning, you didn't, see, you didn't see your name in that list. You didn't see your uncle's name in that list. But what if you saw your Savior's name in that list? What if you saw the name of the family that you're grafted into this morning? And what if that list was meant to tell you something about your savior see i think matthew has been very deliberate in including this what was known what is known as the genealogy to show us whether or not this jesus who lived 2000 years ago is relevant to us then and would be relevant to us today jesus the birth of jesus christ that we celebrate at christmas time in the traditional christmas does not come about in a vacuum. It's not like God one, one day decided, oh, today would be a good day. What do you think? Jesus, do you want to be born today? It didn't arrive that way. It, it was part of God's grand plan of, of woven through human history. And in that grand plan of, of human history, God has revealed Himself along the way. He's revealed His good intentions. And so there's two people in particular that Matthew makes us aware of that are recipients of, of the knowledge, of the understanding of God's intentions. And they come, to, they come to them in the form of a promise. The first one is Abraham. The second is David. Now Matthew has written his gospel to primarily Jews. And so in the New Testament, we have two genealogies that are recorded for us. One is recorded by Luke, and his gospel is written to Gentiles. And so when you read it, you see there are some differences. But one of the things that stand out for you is Luke goes all the way back to Adam. But because Matthew is writing to Jews, he only goes back as far as Abraham. Abraham, who is part of God's restart, if you will, his call of humanity, calls a person, calls a family, who is destined to become a nation known as Israel. And to this man, Abraham, we read in different places, but in Genesis chapter 22 in particular, we read that God gives him a promise that his offspring, which we have seen is the word seed, that his seed, out of his seed, the whole world is going to be blessed. We fast forward to promise number two in King David, which we heard about last Sunday, 2 Samuel chapter 7, and to this royal ruler in the Israel family, David is given the promise that there's going to be an offspring, or seed is the technical word, there's going to be a seed who will reign on his throne, it will endure, it will reign forever. Promise one, promise two. These are huge promises, and as we see that within Matthew's genealogy, how that's highlighted there. We see that there's then three epochs. There's, uh, there's Abraham to David, is the epoch of patriarchs. Then from David to, to the exile of Israel as they were taken from their homeland and deported to Babylon, is the, um, the, the time period of the kings where they ruled and reigned. And then there's this period of obscurity after Babylon that takes us to the coming of this person that we're reading about this morning, Jesus Christ. Three epochs leading to Jesus. And if you were a detective, and if you were looking at this, and you were wondering about the fulfillment of the promises and who this seed is, and you you read Matthew's genealogy, and he's carefully outlining sort of the royal line that leads to this person, and you would read There, where it says, "And Josiah, or or sorry, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born," you would read, and you would you would say to yourself, "This is a possibility. This could be the seed." And in that possibility, Matthew is declaring that Jesus is the seed. He is the one born, the uh, born who is called the Christ. He is the Messiah. In Jesus, Matthew is showing us that the promise to Abraham, the promise to David, are being fulfilled in one and the same person who is the the one that Israel has hoped for, even in their exile, this deliverer, this Messiah. All of those promises are flowing. That's what he's showing us through the genealogy to the one person. Born of Mary, Jesus, the anointed one, the Christ. Later, um, One of the followers of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, would write in such a beautiful, concise way, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, fulfilled in him. A list, a scandal. We read on in Matthew chapter 1, in verse 18, these words, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now marriage in first century times um, played out quite differently than it probably does in most scenarios here in in Abbotsford and in our culture. Um, Parents arranged for their children to be married. And so mom and dad would get together with... uh, the other mom and dad, and they'd have this conversation, and they'd probably been talking about this for a while. But when, it, when they wanted to make it, a, you know, solidify it, they would get together, they'd talk about the details, and write up a contract. It was a very serious engagement called a betrothal. So that's going on. At the same time, um, within the environment of, of first century Judaism, uh, the idea of sexual purity is very important. Like, uh, sexual relations are meant to, to be experienced within a committed relationship between a man and a woman. Sex outside of marriage is something that could, if, if become known, would bring great embarrassment and shame, not only to the person, but to the whole family. There was just serious ramifications for something like that taking place. And here we have a probably teenage girl upon whom the Holy Spirit comes, and in a supernatural way we are told in Matthew chapter one, verse 18, that she becomes pregnant with child. Now, if you're, you're here this morning, and I don't know if you're a, a teenage girl or you, you once were, or you're a dad, you've had a, a, you know any girls it like, doesn't take much for us to use our imagination and, and to realize, when you really put yourself in first- century times and situations, like just how scandalous and how difficult this would have been for everyone involved. Like, if, if you're a dad, you want to, OK, let me talk to the fiance. Like, how did this happen? And your daughter tells you, "Well, Dad, I know it's, this is unusual, like somewhat unusual. Um, nothing ever went on with me and Joseph, but like God. Like it would just be so difficult for you to believe. And as Mary becomes pregnant, and living in a small town, Nazareth was just a small town, and you know how small towns can be. Um, uh, you know how small, you know condominiums can be. Everybody makes it their business to know everybody else's business, and you can just imagine that this girl is going to be pregnant and have to walk through, live in her town with this scandal always in her face. We know she departs for a while. We know that Joseph had a very difficult time with this news. It says uh, in verse 19, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So they're betrothed, but you can see how serious it is because, because Joseph they used, it uses the word divorce. Like he would need to divorce her. That's how serious the betrothal period was. But he was, a, he was a good, godly man. And not, win, not wanting Mary to, to experience additional shame. You know, he's going to divorce her. He's going to separate privately. He's going to take on some of the embarrassment himself. And I can o- only imagine how that was for all the families. It's completely a scandalous situation. But this is not the only scandal that we read about in Matthew chapter 1. You see, as we go back to the list that Matthew has given to us, and you begin to, to read and you begin to look deeper into the history of the names that are, that are being listed here, we realize there is scandal after scandal after scandal. I take you to Matthew chapter one and very early in this genealogy, verse three, and it says in Judah, the father Perez and Zerah are by Tamar, now, now if you may just zip through those names and go, okay, let's go on to the next names. I mean, there's a whole bunch of them to read. Let's just get it over with, right? And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerar by Tamar. Let me tell the history of just this little, this little part of the genealogy here. So Judah's in that royal line. There's some great promises given to the tribe of Judah. And he has arranged for his firstborn son, Ur, to be married to a, a appears to be a Canaanite girl named Tamar. And so they are married. But it says in the scripture that Ur was a wicked person and so by God's doing, he's put to death. And, and how his custom was in those days, his brother then took up the responsibility of marrying th- this widow, Tamar. And so Onan takes that responsibility and marries her, but he also dies. So Tamar now has been widowed twice, and it looks like the prospect for her could be that she could be a widow for the rest of her life. But Judah has a younger son, Shelah. And he promises Tamar that when he is old enough, he will be given to her as her husband. But as time goes on and and he becomes old enough and she watches what's going on, she can see that Judah is not going to keep his promise. It's not going to happen. And so she connives and schemes, and when she finds out Judah is traveling to a place, she disguises herself as a prostitute, and the rest of the story is history. She becomes pregnant. What a scandalous story. And twins are born, and what are their names? Perez and Zerar by Tamar. This, this is part of the royal lineage that leads to Jesus Christ. In 2014, uh, actor, producer, director Ben Affleck, most of you know who he is, he volunteered to be part of a program with PBS called Finding Your Roots. He wanted to know a little bit more about his ancestry. In particular, I think he wanted to know about how his family had been involved in social justice. He was encouraged by a number of things. For example, he found out that there was a woman in his line that had been part of the Uh, Freedom Riders, there was another man that had fought been courageous fighting for the Revolutionary War. But as, as the researchers did their work, they also found that there was in his line a man named Benjamin Cole who lived in Georgia and he was a sheriff in the 1850s and 60s and he was a slave owner. He was a slave owner and... That didn't sit well with the movie star. CNN reports that when Affleck agreed to take part in the PBS documentary series, he probably never imagined he'd learn that one of his ancestors was a slave owner in fact, we wouldn't even know about this story if it hadn't been leaked out by WikiLeaks, who got a hold of some of the emails that transpired between the head of Sony Pictures and the producer of the program, Finding Your Roots, and, and in the emails was discovered that Ben Affleck, once they found out about this, had been lobbying, had been pressuring them to delete that part from his story so that no one would know about it, and, and he he, he posted on, on Facebook that he was ashamed. He was embarrassed by the fact that one of his ancestors had been a slave owner. Now he was embarrassed that he had tried to cover up. And then I think about the lineage that we read about in Matthew chapter 1 of Jesus Christ. We read in Matthew chapter 1 verse 3 of the scandal around Judah and Tamar, Tamar. But you just read a little bit further. We read in verse 5 about Rahab, who was a prostitute. We read in verse 6 about Solomon by the wife Uriah. Solomon born out of adultery. Solomon born out of an act of treason or or murder and deceit and scheming. We read on. We read verse 7 about Rehoboam an oppressive ruler, and an idol worshiper. We read on, and we read in verse 10 about Manasseh, whom the scripture said, says, shed much innocent blood. Scandal, 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 embarrassment, embarrassment, embarrassment. What do we learn from this? What is Matthew trying to show us? As we said last week, that what God says, God does. Man's unfaithfulness will not prevent God being faithful. So when he's made a promise, he's gonna keep that promise. We also learn that God uses and works through imperfect people, that our failures cannot stop God from accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. And regardless of the mess in the middle of a story, God is fully capable of writing a beautiful ending to that story. As we look at the genealogy, we see that God has in mind the whole world. As we read through it, we see that there are four women, and it seems that all four of those women are Gentiles. They are not Jew. God even there is seeding the thought. He's got the whole world in mind. And lastly, we see how God identifies with our brokenness. He is not so ashamed of us that he's not saying, "Yeah, I'm with you. I'm part of you. I'm identifying with you." Not too long ago, um, one of a friend that our, our our family has known for many many years uh, committed a crime. Um, he felt horrible about his crime. He was guilty. Was brought to court to be charged. Uh, We certainly did not support what he had done, but we would not abandon him. And I can remember sitting in the courtroom to support him, but at the same time feeling all these mixed emotions because of what he was done, and people looking at me knowing that I was there for his sake not knowing how I felt about what he'd done, whether maybe I proved of what he'd done, all that, but that I was, I was identifying with him. And it helped me to understand, I think, in that moment, like what is it like for God to identify with us in all our brokenness and sin and not support it and yet say, I'm, I'm identifying with you. And that's what's going on here In Matthew's genealogy, as it leads to Jesus, Jesus is identifying with us. Someone said Matthew's genealogy includes the outcast, the scandalous, and the foreigner. The family Jesus comes from anticipates the family he has come for. The word genealogy that you read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, that word can also be translated Genesis, or origin, or beginning. And some people, uh, it's often heard that what's going on here in Matthew's genealogy is is he's showing us what's leading to a new beginning. There's a new beginning. As we learn about Jesus' origin from from a physical, human standpoint, there's a new beginning coming in the person of Jesus Christ, And so just like in the first Genesis, when the Holy Spirit's hovering over the chaos of what is existence in that time, and in that chaos, God speaks a new created order that is good. So the Holy Spirit hovers over Mary. And in a humanity that is broken and continues to fail and is desperately in need of something new, the Holy Spirit in the person of Jesus Christ is bringing a new creation through Jesus. How amazing, how beautiful. We read on in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. The angel reveals to Joseph, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And now we learn about the Savior. The list, the scandal, and now the Savior. She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Matthew, or, or Joseph, is made to know that what Mary's been trying to tell him about God and her, her being pregnant, you know, by the activity of the Holy Spirit, is in fact true. And then it's made very clear to Joseph that specifically he is to call this son, there's a specific name, and that name is Jesus. So let's understand a little bit about what that name means. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project has been really helpful in unpacking this because he deals a lot with the Hebrew language. Um, when, we for, when, when we look at the Old Testament, we see that God revealed himself to his people in a bunch of different names, but the personal name of God, what's, what's often known as the personal name of God, is the name Yahweh. And sometimes it's shortened to just Yah. And so when we say the word hallelujah, hallelujah is like praised, Yah is Yahweh, God. So hallelujah means to praise God. When Joseph is directed to call his son by the name of Jesus, and you back up. In the Hebrew, that's the word Yahshua or shortened to Yeshua. In Greek, that's translated Jesus. And by the time it gets to English, we drop, the word, we drop the letter Y and substitute a J, and you get the word Jesus. But what it means is Yahweh saves. Yah, Yahweh, Shua, salvation. God saves. Yahweh saves. What the angel is saying to Joseph and to us is, his name shall be called, Yahweh saves, and he, Jesus, Yahweh saves, will save his people from their sins. Do you see what he's getting at? In the Old Testament, Yahweh saves. In the New Testament, Jesus, whose name means Yahweh saves, will be the one who saves. Matthew has shown us genus lineage according to his, his humanity. Now he's showing us this Jesus, the one in whom all the promises find their yes and amen, is also the divine one. Yahweh saves. And he shall save his people from their sins. We are made to know very very clearly what what it is going to be about that's ultimately going to save us. That is to to reconcile to us. To make us whole. That's what the word salvation means. How is that going to happen? He shall save his people from their sins. See as we Look at the biblical story, and we, we have often traced it back to Genesis, and there we see it's the, it's the sin of mankind, it's their rebellion against God that, is, that has opened the door for all the messes that we experience still today, all the frustration in our work, the, the caustic stuff in our relationships, but most importantly, our, our inability to have this close relationship with God. We were separated from God. What caused that? Sin. What continues to cause brokenness? Sin. And God is sending and coming. He's arriving at the right time with the right to rule through the royal line of David, with the promise to bless the world, the promise to be the Messiah, and now the promise to save his people from his sins. He's coming to deal with the very root problem that our world so desperately needs to be taken care of. He shall save his people from their sins. So, as one act of treason against God brought destruction into our world, so this one person and his act of dying on the cross and rising from the dead and ascending to the right hand of the Father will bring wholeness to the world, will bring wholeness to relationships, to families, will bring wholeness to each and every life that sees him and puts their trust in him as the one that Matthew is trying to declare to us. At Christmas time, you, you get a gift, no doubt. And when you get that gift, what do you do with it? You don't open that gift and run around the room saying, okay, what do I need to do to earn this? What do I got to do to earn this? Have you ever done that? Of course not. What is a gift about? A gift is, a, is something that's been given to you. It's given to you. You take that gift and you receive it. And you go, thank you. Whether you think you deserve it or not, thank you. And that's what... The first response to what we're reading about what Matthew has written to us here needs to be all about as we celebrate his arrival at Christmas time. We don't run around going, okay, God, what do I have to do to, to measure up to this? No, I hope you can see through humanity a fallen, 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 fallen. All we have to do is receive Jesus Christ and what he came to do for us to save his people from their sins, from their brokenness, from their separateness from God just receive it. Believe in him and receive it. But the other part of the response is also when you get that gift and you open it up, it's meant, it's meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be used or, or, or practiced or lived in in some way. And so it is. If, if Jesus came to save us from our sins and he's done so he, he's died on the cross so that not only it's like not only was he with us in the courtroom but he he took on any penalty there could ever be so he's taken care of that so we stand right before god he's taken care of that so he's also given us a power to live differently to live under the power of the Holy Spirit, free from the power of sin, then then that's what we need to live in. And so all that Matthew teaches us and all the other gospel writers and the apostles, all that they teach us about how we should then live is something that is for us to be explored and for the rest of our lives to enjoy just assimilating the fact that Jesus came to give us freedom. And then the third thing that I, I see as I read this passage is that this gift is meant to be shared. So Matthew says, This all took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is with us. He's identified with us. He's with us not just just by being beside us, but he's for us. In that sense, he's with us. And as we read the end of Matthew's gospel, we find at the very end of it, in Matthew chapter 28, where Matthew's story culminates in Jesus giving to his disciples something that is very well known in Christianity. It's called the Great Commission. What Jesus is saying is just like I've come to be with you and I've showed you what God is like and then I went to the cross, I rose from the dead and now I'm leaving. I'm gonna ascend to the right hand of my Father but I want you to know that I'm with you and I'm with you in particularly when you take what you've got with me and you share it with the world around you so that others begin to follow me like you have also. In that place, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are now living in this in-between time. Jesus did arrive and we're celebrating that at Christmas time and we remind ourselves what it would look like to anticipate that. But let me remind us that we also are in a season of Advent where we are looking forward to, we are waiting for what is yet to come, the second arrival of Jesus Christ. And the next age in which everything will be made right, but in the in-between, here we are. We need to live with belief, receiving what God's given to us, living out this gift of life and freedom from sin that he's given to us, and then help others to experience the shame, the same. That's what Christmas means. That's what his arrival triggers. A new humanity, a new people, followers, Friends of God as he dwells among us. Merry Christmas. Father, I thank you this morning for the revelation of your Holy Spirit, giving us your word, showing us, Lord, how much you love us, that you would come and identify with us, stand with us, be with us, work for us, work in us and through us, around us. I thank you, Lord, that you are with us to the end of the age. Lord, this morning, we just want to receive all the gift in its fullness that you have for us, Lord. We thank you that all the promises are yes and amen in Jesus, and I pray, Lord, that that would be unpacked in our lives more and more and more. Lord, we thank you for coming, and we thank you that you're coming again. With that anticipation, Lord, we want to live our lives in gratitude and worship for your kingdom and your glory. In Christ's name, amen.